And hello, everyone. I'm Bob Keezer. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is Chapter 44 The Parian Mission Begins. Abner, now in charge of the 70 new evangelists, was a Nazarite who had at one time been the headmaster of the Nazarite school at Engedi, and later he became the former chief of John the Baptist's apostles. On Tuesday, January 3rd, 8030, he called everyone together to give them their final orders before sending the 70 into all of the villages of Peria. The evangelist, and only occasionally, along with Jesus and the Twelve Apostles, took the gospel message to more than 85 villages in the area. The Parian mission lasted almost three months, and it was Jesus' last ministry to the people. After this work, he went straight to Jerusalem to pass through his final experiences as a mortal of the realm. The Woman's Corps now numbered 62, and they took over most of the work caring for the sick. Throughout this time, there were no miracles. They were concentrating on teaching the people the higher spiritual aspects of the gospel. More than anywhere else in Palestine, the people were excited, and in general, their message was accepted by the better classes. Most of the Jews had been relocated from this area during Judas Maccabees' time, and now Peria was about equally Gentile and Jewish. It was the most beautiful province in all of Palestine. The Jews often called it the land beyond the Jordan. During this mission, Jesus divided his time between the Pella camp and helping out the others as they taught in the various villages. Although Jesus had not told them to do so, Abner and the Seventy baptized all of those who came to believe in the gospel. At the Pella Camp By the middle of January, more than 1,200 people were staying at Pella. Jesus, when he was in the camp, taught to crowds at least once a day, usually about 9 o'clock in the morning if it wasn't raining. Peter and the other apostles taught in the afternoons. The evenings, as usual, were reserved for Jesus' question and answer sessions with the, other, with the apostles and the other more advanced disciples. These evening groups averaged about 50 people. By the middle of March, when Jer Jesus left for Jerusalem, there were over 4,000 people attending the morning lessons that either Jesus or Peter gave every morning. Jesus decided to end his time on earth when his message was at a peak during this second no-miracle phase of spreading the gospel. Three-quarters of these crowds were sincere people looking for the truth, and the others were Pharisees from Jerusalem and others who doubted his message. Jesus and the apostles devoted most of their time to the crowd at the Pella camp. 
The 12 paid little attention to the field work and only went out with Jesus to visit Abner's crew on occasion. Abner was well acquainted with the Parian district. This is where John the Baptist had done most of his work. After setting out on the Parian mission, Abner and the 70 never returned again to the Pella camp. Sermon on the Good Shepherd When Jesus made his escape from the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem at the end of the Feast of Dedication, he was followed to Pella by over 300 people, Pharisees, teachers, and others who believed in him. It was to a group of about a hundred of these people, along with the twelve apostles, that Jesus preached the sermon on the Good Shepherd. After about a half an hour of chit-chat between everyone, Jesus said, Tonight, I have a lot to tell you, and since some of you are my disciples and others are my enemies, I'm going to teach you with a parable so that each of you can take whatever finds reception in your heart. Here tonight are men who would be willing to die for me in this gospel, and some of them will in the years ahead. There are also men here, slaves of tradition, who have followed me to this place and who, along with their deluded leaders, want to kill the Son of Man. The life that I now live with you as a man will judge both of you, the true shepherds and the false shepherds. If the false shepherd is blind, he would have no sin. But you do not claim to be blind. You claim that you can see. You say that you are the teachers of Israel, and because of that, you do sin. In times of danger, the true shepherd gathers his flock into the sheepfold a pen or corral to keep them safe. And when the morning comes, he enters into the fold by the door, and when he calls, the sheep know his voice. Every shepherd who gains entrance to the sheep's corral by any other way than the door is a thief. The true shepherd enters the fold after his helper has opened the door for him, and his sheep, knowing his voice, come out at his word. And when those sheep that are his are brought out, the true shepherd goes before them. He leads the way, and the sheep follow him. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. They will run from the stranger because they do not know his voice. This crowd that is gathered around us here are like sheep without a shepherd. And when we speak to them, they know the shepherd's voice and they follow us. At least those who thirst and hunger for truth and righteousness do. Some of you are not of my fold. You do not know my voice and you do not follow me. And because you are false shepherds, the sheep will not know your voice and they will not follow you. And after Jesus told them this parable, no one asked him a question. After a little while, he started to speak again and discussed the parable. Jesus said, Those of you who want to be 
the assistant shepherds of my father's flocks must not only be worthy leaders, but you must also feed the flock with good food. You are not true shepherds unless you lead your flocks into green pastures and beside still waters. And now, in case some of you too easily understand this parable, I am telling you that I am both the door to the father's sheepfold and at the same time the true shepherd of my father's flocks. Every shepherd who wants to enter the fold without me will fail, and the sheep will not hear his voice. I, along with my disciples, am the door. Every soul who enters on the eternal path by the way I have ordained will be saved and will go on to attain the eternal pastures of paradise. But I am also the true shepherd who is willing even to die for his sheep. The thief breaks into the sheepfold only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come so that all of you can have life and have more of it. He who is a hireling, an employee, when danger comes, will run away and allow the sheep to be scattered and destroyed. But the true shepherd will not run when the wolf comes. He will protect his flock and, if necessary, lay down his life for his sheep. It is the truth when I tell you, friends and enemies, that I am the true shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. I will not run away in the face of danger. I will complete my service to my Father's will, and I will not abandon the flock that the Father has trusted me to keep. But I have many other sheep who are not part of this sheepfold, and these words are true for other worlds, not only yours. These other sheep also hear and know my voice, and I have promised the Father that they will all be brought into one fold, one brotherhood, the sons of God. And then everyone will know the voice of one shepherd, the true shepherd, and all people will recognize the fatherhood of God. And just so that you know why the Father loves me and why he has put all of his flock into my hands for keeping, it is because the Father knows that I will not waver in keeping the fold safe, that I will not desert my sheep, and that, if it is required, I will not hesitate to lay down my life in service to my many flocks. But know this, if I lay down my life, I will take it up again. No man nor any other creature can take away my life. I have the right and power to lay down my life, and I have the same right and power to take it up again. You cannot understand this, but I was given this power from my Father even before the world came into being. After Jesus said this, his apostles were confused. His disciples were amazed, and the Pharisees from Jerusalem went out into the night, saying, He is either mad or he has a devil. But even some of the Jerusalem teachers said, He speaks like one having authority. Besides, who has ever seen a devil open the eyes of a blind man and do all the wonderful things? 
that this man has done. In the morning, about half of these Jewish, about half of these Jewish teachers stated their belief in Jesus. And the other half, in shock, went back to Jerusalem and their homes. Saturday's sermon at Pella. By the end of January, the crowds gathering on Saturday afternoons for the Sabbath services had grown to almost 3,000 people. On this Saturday, January 28th, Jesus preached the sermon on trust and spiritual preparedness. After Simon Peter gave everyone some opening remarks, Jesus said, What I have told my apostles and disciples many times, I am now telling you. Beware of the leaven, the unbelief of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy born of prejudice and nurtured in traditional bondage. Even though many of these Pharisees have honest hearts, and some of them stay here as my disciples. Soon, all of you will understand my lessons, for there is nothing hidden now that will not be revealed. All that is now hidden from you will be made known when the Son of Man has completed his mission in the flesh on earth. Soon, very soon, the things that our enemies are now planning in secrecy and in darkness will be brought out into the light and they will be announced from the rooftops. But I am telling you, my friends, that when they want to destroy the Son of Man, do not be afraid of them. Do not fear those who, although they maybe kill the body, after that have no more power over you. I warn you to fear no one in heaven or on earth, but instead to rejoice in knowing him who has the power to deliver you from all wickedness and to present you blameless before the judgment seat of a universe. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet, when these birds flit about looking for food, not one of them exists without the Father, the source of all life, knowing it. To the seraphic guardians, the very heads, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And if all of this is true, why should you live in fear of the many trifles, the little things that come up in your daily lives? I am telling you, fear not, you are much more valuable than a bunch of sparrows. All of you who have had the courage to state your faith in my gospel before everyone else, I will soon praise before the angels of heaven. But he who knowingly denies the truth of my teachings in front of men will be, will be denied by his guardian of destiny, even before the angels of heaven. Say what you will about the Son of Man, and you will be forgiven. But the people who presume to blaspheme against God will hardly be forgiven. Because when men go so far as to knowingly say that God's deeds are the forces of evil, those types of rebels will hardly want to have their sins forgiven. In other words, it is not that God would not forgive them, 
but rather that they have hardened themselves so much that they will not ask for forgiveness. And when our enemies bring you before the rulers of the synagogues and before other high courts, do not be worried about what you will say or anxious about how you will answer their questions because the spirit that dwells in you will, for certain, teach you in that very hour what you should say in honor of the gospel of the kingdom. How long will you procrastinate in the valley of decision? Why do you go back and forth between two opinions? Why should Jew or Gentile hesitate to accept the good news that he is the son of the eternal God? How long will it take us? How long will it take us to persuade you to joyfully enter into your spiritual inheritance? I came into this world to reveal the Father to you and to lead you to the Father. The first I have done, but the last I cannot do without your consent. The Father never forces any man to enter the kingdom. The invitation has always been and always will be, whosoever will, let him come and freely partake of the water of life. When Jesus had finished speaking, many people went down to the river to be, a, to be baptized by the apostles in the Jordan, while Jesus answered questions for the people who remained behind. Dividing the inheritance. As the apostles baptized believers in the Jordan, and Jesus was talking with the people who had stayed behind, a certain young man came up and said to him, Master, my father died leaving me and my brother a lot of property, but my brother refuses to give me what is mine. Will you, then, ask my brother to divide this inheritance with me? Jesus was mildly indignant or offended that this material-minded young man brought up a question about business. But he decided to use the moment to further teach the people. Jesus said, Man, who made me a divider over you? Where did you get the idea that I care about the material affairs of the world? And then, turning to all the people who were around him, Jesus said, Be careful and keep, your see and keep yourselves free from wanting too much in this life. A man's life is not about how many things he has. Happiness does not come from the power of wealth, and joy does not come from riches. Wealth, in and of itself, is not a curse. But the love of riches many times leads to so much devotion to the material things of this world that the soul is blinded to the beautiful spiritual realities of the kingdom of God on earth or to the joys of eternal life in heaven. Let me tell you a story of a certain rich man whose harvests were always full. When he became rich, he began to ask himself, 
What will I do with all of my wealth? I now have so much money that I have no place to keep it. And after giving his problem some thought, he told himself, This is what I'll do. I will replace my barns with bigger ones so that I have enough room to store all of my riches. Then I can say to my soul, Soul, you have enough money to last you for many years. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry, because you are rich. But this rich man was also foolish. While he took care of the material needs for his mind and body, he failed to put away any treasures in heaven to satisfy his spirit and to save his soul. And even then, he was not going to get to enjoy spending his wealth, because that very night, his soul was required. Thieves broke into his house and killed him, and after they had stolen all that they wanted from the barns, they burned the rest to the ground. And as for what remained after the fire, his hairs fought among themselves. This man hoarded treasures for himself on earth, but he was not rich with God. Jesus dealt with the young man in this way because he knew that greed was his problem. But even if that had not been the case, Jesus would not have interfered because he never meddled in the affairs, in the earthly affairs of his apostles, much less his disciples. When Jesus had finished his story about the rich man, another person stood up and asked him, Master, I know that your apostles have sold all of their earthly possessions to follow you, and that they share all that they have like the Essenes do. But do you want us to, but do you want all of us who are your disciples to do the same? Is it a sin to possess honest wealth? And Jesus said, My friend, it is not a sin to have honorable wealth. But it is a sin if your material wealth turns into treasures that take all of your interest and that divert your devotion from the spiritual goals of the kingdom. There is no sin in having honest wealth on earth, provided your treasure is in heaven. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. There is a great difference between wealth that leads to selfishness and wealth that is held and managed to support those people who are devoting their energies to the kingdom. Many of you here have no money, and you are being fed and housed in yonder tent city because of generous people who have donated money to David Zebedee for these needs. But never forget that, in the end, Wealth does not last, does not endure. The love of riches usually clouds up and even destroys the spiritual vision. Do not fail to recognize the danger of money becoming your master instead of your servant. Jesus did not teach, and he did not approve of, idleness, extravagance, depending on charity, or not caring for the physical needs of one's family. 
but he did teach that earthly matters had to be placed lower than the soul's welfare and spiritual progress in the kingdom of heaven. Then the people started going down to the river to watch everyone being baptized. As this was going on, the first man who had questioned Jesus about his inheritance and who felt like Jesus had dealt too harshly with him went up to Jesus in private and asked him again about his wealth. And Jesus said, My son, why are you missing this opportunity to feed on the bread of life on a day like this in order to please your greed? Do you not know that the Jewish laws of inheritance will get you your money if you take your complaint to the court at the synagogue? Can you not see that my work has to do with making sure that you know about your heavenly inheritance? Have you not read the scripture? There is he who grows rich by his suspicion and dishonesty, and this is his reward. He says, I have found rest, and now I will be able to continually meet my needs. But he does not know what time will bring to him, and also that he must leave all of these things to other people when he dies. Have you not read the commandment, You will not covet, that you will not crave things? And again, they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, and then they turn to other gods. Have you read in the Psalms that the Lord abhors the covetous? In other words, that he despises those people who are always wanting more. And that the little a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked men. If you get wealthy, if you get wealthy, if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Have you read where Jeremiah said the rich man should not glorify his riches? And Ezekiel spoke the truth when he said, With their mouths they make a show of love, but their hearts are set on their own selfish gain. As Jesus sent the young man away, he said, My son, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your own soul? Another person standing nearby asked Jesus how the wealthy would be received in the day of judgment. And Jesus said, I have not come to judge either the rich or the poor. The lives that men have lived will be their judgment for all. At least three questions must be answered by everyone who acquires great wealth. One, how much wealth did you accumulate? Two, how did you get this wealth? And three, how did you use your wealth? Then Jesus went into his tent to rest for a while before supper. When the apostles had finished baptizing the people down in the river, they also came to talk to Jesus about wealth on earth and treasure in heaven. But by then he was already asleep. Talks to the Apostles on Wealth That evening after supper, 
when Jesus and the twelve were gathered around for their daily meeting, Andrew asked, Master, while we were baptizing the believers, you said a lot to the crowd of people who stayed behind here that we did not hear. Would you be willing to repeat for us what you said? And Jesus said, Yes, Andrew, I will talk to you about these matters of wealth and self-support. But what I say to you, my apostles, must be different than what I told the disciples and the crowds, since you have given up everything, not only to follow me, but to be ordained as ambassadors of the kingdom. You have already had several years of experience And you know that the Father whose kingdom you are announcing will not desert you. You have dedicated your lives to the ministry of the kingdom. Because of that, do not be worried about the things of the earthly life, like what you will eat or for your body or what you will wear. The welfare of the soul is more than food and drink. The Spirit's progress is far more important than fancy clothing. When you are tempted to doubt that you will be fed, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no barns or warehouses. And yet the Father provides food for every one of them that looks for it. And how much more valuable are you than many birds? Besides, all of your worrying can do nothing to take care of your material needs. Which of you, by worrying, can add six inches to your height or a day to your life. Since such things are not in your hands, do not worry about any of these little problems. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not work or spin thread. Yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed up like one of these lilies. If God dresses the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is cut down and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, the ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom? O you of little faith, when you wholeheartedly devote yourselves to the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, you should not worry concerning the support of yourselves or the families you have given up. If you truly give your lives to the gospel, you will live by the gospel. If you are only believing disciples, you must earn your own bread and donate to the needs of all who heal, preach, and teach. If you are anxious about your bread and water, how are you any different from the nations of the world who so carefully look for such needs? Devote yourselves to your work believing that both the Father and I know that you need all of these things. Let me assure you, once and for all, that if you dedicate your lives to the work of the kingdom, all of your real needs will be met. Look for the greater thing, and the lesser things will be found there. Ask for the heavenly, and the earthly will be included. The shadow is certain to follow the substance. You are only a small group, but if you have faith, if you do not stumble in fear, 
I am telling you that it is my Father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom. You have stored your treasures where the purse does not grow old, where no thief can steal it, and where no moth can destroy it. And as I told the people, where your treasure is, there is also your heart. But in the work that is just ahead of us, and in the work that remains for you after I go to the Father, you will be seriously tried. You must all be on your guard against fear and doubt. Every one of you, prepare your minds and refresh your souls in worship. Stand guard like men who are watching for their master to return from the marriage feast so that when he knocks on the door, they can quickly open it up for him. Such watchful servants are blessed by the master who finds them faithful at such a great moment. Then will the master make his servants sit down while he himself serves them. It is the truth when I tell you that a crisis is just ahead in your lives, and it is your duty to watch and to be ready. You know full well that no one would let his house be broken into if he knew what time the thief was going to come. Watch out for yourselves, because at a time that you least suspect, and in a way that you do not expect, the Son of Man will leave. For a few minutes, the twelve sat in silence. They had heard some of these warnings before, but not in exactly this way. Answer to Peter's question. As they sat there thinking about all of this, Simon Peter asked, Do you speak this parable to us, your apostles, or is it for all of the disciples? And Jesus said, In the time of testing, a man's soul is revealed. Trial, hardship, discloses what is really in the heart. When the servant is tested and proven, then the Lord of the house can put the servant in charge of his household and be safe trusting this faithful steward to see that his children are fed and nurtured. Likewise, I will soon know who can be trusted with the welfare of my children when I have returned to the Father. Like the Lord of the household will put the tried and true servant in charge of the affairs of his family, so will I praise those who endure the hardships of this hour in the affairs of my kingdom. But if the servant is lazy and starts to say in his heart, My master is late in coming, and he begins to mistreat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, then that servant's Lord will come at a time when he is not looking for him, and finding him unfaithful will throw him out in disgrace. So, do yourselves well by preparing yourselves for that day when you will be visited suddenly and in an unexpected manner. Remember, much has been given to you. Because of that, a lot will be required of you. Fiery trials are drawing near. 
I have a baptism I must go through to elevate me, and I am on watch until this is done. You preach peace on earth, but my mission will not bring peace in the earthly affairs of men, at least not for a time. When two members of a family believe in me and the other three members reject this gospel, the only result can be division. Friends, relatives, and loved ones are going to break apart because of the gospel you preach. True, each of these believers will have great and lasting peace in his own heart, but peace on earth will not come until all people are willing to believe in and enter into their glorious inheritance as sons of God. Nevertheless, go into all the world proclaiming this gospel to all nations, to every man, woman, and child. And this was the end of a busy Saturday. In the morning, Jesus and the twelve went into the cities of northern Peria to visit with the seventy who were working there under Abner's supervision. Okay, everyone, that's it for chapter 44. The Parian mission begins. Coming up in a few days is chapter 45, last visit to northern Peria. Defend liberty, protect those kids. Get out there and find some way to serve man for no more, no less than the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here.